Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the enterprise editor at the Times. Today's topic, pivoting because of the pandemic, or tales from a food critic. Joining us today is Helen Freund, the Times food critic, which is quite a job to have at the moment. Helen has been in our newsroom for just over a year. She came to us from New Orleans. So let's go back to early March when the pandemic first took hold in the U.S. What were you thinking, Helen, in terms of your beat Yeah. Well, we threw everything out that we thought we're going to be working on, right? Pretty quickly. But to start with, I guess so like early March, we started seeing these things happening in Seattle and New York and nothing was happening here yet. But um, I just remember sitting in front of the computer and and seeing this story pop up about 50 restaurants, like five zero um, closing down in Seattle, not permanently, but temporarily. And I know that almost like probably sounds normal to us at this point, but at the time it was so completely unheard of. And I mean, I've been covering this industry for a while and I've never ever in my life heard of anything like that. And that to me was shocking. And then a couple of days later, I noticed that Danny Meyer, a pretty well-known restaurateur in New York City, also closed down a bunch of his restaurants. And so then I started kind of thinking like, you know, great, what is this? Is this something that could happen here? And I made a couple of calls and um, talked to some restaurant owners and I, to, you know, no fault of their own because we had no idea at the time yet, but they were so convinced that nothing was going to happen here and that everything was going to be fine and this was going to blow over and not affect Florida. So, you know, a few weeks after that, obviously everyone changed their mind and everything started to feel real serious. Your beat isn't normally one that's so tied into the news. How has this changed the way you have to work in terms of like following world events that all of a sudden impact how we eat? Yeah, it really quickly went from, you know, my beat was something where I was writing a a weekly restaurant review and maybe working on a couple longer projects, maybe a daily here or there. It went from that to being just like a full-time like breaking news beat really quickly overnight. To be honest, like I, I covered breaking news for a long time before this and general assignment and criminal justice. And so I was kind of used to the pace so that it wasn't totally foreign, which I think was helpful. But at the same time, it also, um, it was strange to have to throw out everything that we thought that we were going to be working on and really just like, not, not to say that it was totally reactive, but we really were working like every day was something new, I think for all of us too. We'll add some links to some of Helen's stories, but I mean, you were doing, yeah, restaurants are closing or somebody's shifting to takeout or the servers are worried about what's going to happen. Just the whole nature of the business completely changed. Yeah. And I think for a lot of restaurant owners, it was, you know, everything that they had to go through, this was totally new for them too. So everyone was really making it up as they go, which, and this is, I think probably this also applies to other beats at the paper too, but especially in the food world, I've never ever covered a story where 
everyone in the country was like covering the exact same story. So everything that was happening was happening either a couple weeks before us or a couple weeks after us. And so it was this like, it's not that we had a roadmap, but it was like, sometimes it helped to be able to look at New York or Seattle, you know, somewhere in California and say, okay, this might happen to us in a couple of days. We should probably start to get ready. Were there things that you learned about the restaurant industry or the business because of you were covering this sort of instant shutdown? I mean, just in terms of how things work and what the money flow is like. And, and I don't I mean, we think about takeout care containers, you know, like everything has changed from the way people did things. What have you learned about the industry that you didn't know before? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've always been pretty interested in how the labor breakdown works at restaurants, especially for tipped workers. The federal minimum wage is two thirteen an hour. And so I think it's been really fascinating. And I know, Lane, you've written about this a little bit too, like seeing how this has affected restaurant employees more so than employers and just the things that they've had to do in the meantime to try to like make ends meet and what what this is all looking like. And it's not over, you know, it's far from over. I think we're going to continue to see more fallout. So I think that was pretty interesting. Um, as far as pivoting to takeout and to go, I think I was really impressed at how resilient and how creative a lot of restaurant owners were. I also was slightly shocked and at sometimes kind of appalled at how not flexible restaurant owners are and on, on how people really wanted to open up as if nothing had happened and go right back to business as usual. And I think we're still, we're seeing a lot of that. Like, I think there's a lot of restaurants that are now, they're open at 50% capacity. Maybe they're actually open at 75% capacity, but even if they are trying to follow all the rules, they're operating as if like we're close to the to normal again, and I don't I don't think that we are. <laughs> so, I think that for most business owners now, if you're really lo- like forward thinking, you're trying to figure out, okay, what can I do to change my business model to actually survive in this new world? I wanted to get you to talk a little bit more about how you're staying ahead of this story, or at least trying to keep up with it. What are Michelle Stark is your editor? What are you and Michelle talking about in terms of like, okay? How do we keep going? What, you know, because it's hard to predict, right? What's going to happen? Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I got to say, I feel so lucky. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of editors in my career, but Michelle's been so excellent to work with on this. And I think especially, gosh, especially during that first month, um, and I don't know, I haven't spoken to that many other reporters, what their, what their day-to-day was like. But for Michelle and I, I mean, we were pretty much on the phone every single day for that first month, sometimes several times a day. And sometimes it was just like checking in and saying like, how are you doing with all this? But most of it was just bouncing ideas off of each other nonstop because there was so much happening and it was happening so quickly that it helped to have someone to help digest what was going on and try to figure out like where to go from there. The first couple of months were really more like, okay, this is, there's something new happening every single day. It was hard to be too forward thinking, I think, and like to look too far ahead. But the last couple of weeks have been, knock on wood, like a little slower, (laughs) a little quieter. And I feel like we're finally starting to get to think like, okay, like how can we go forward with this? What might be some like interesting ways that we can look at how this is going to play out? I still think that unemployment is kind of going to be the biggest story here for restaurant workers, I think we're going to see a lot of restaurants close down too. And that's going to be tough. We haven't gotten there yet. Other restaurants have been closing down in much larger numbers across the country in different cities and different areas. I don't think we've had that much here yet, but yeah, it's certainly something we're thinking about. Helen, talk a little bit about your reporting process through this. I mean, normally you were out in restaurants 
almost every night. You were in person doing a lot of these interviews with the owners and the chefs and the diners. What has it been like for the past, what's been almost five months now in terms of how you're doing your reporting? Yeah. Um, well, it's been a big change, I think, for all of us. The work from home situation is real and looks like it's going to be like this for a while. I am one of those reporters where I, I really prefer doing my interviews in person, but at the moment, that's just not a thing that I'm doing a lot of. I'm doing a little bit more now than I was, say, in the beginning. The first couple of weeks, I was pretty much just glued to my laptop, like sitting at my kitchen table, doing everything over the phone. I do remember going out for the first time on an assignment where we were doing um, a bunch of different profiles about restaurant workers that were out of work. And Dirk Shad, the photographer, was going out to shoot someone. And I had no reason to go out because I had already interviewed this woman. But I just, I tagged along just because I so desperately wanted to see another person and also just be able to ask them questions in person and see what they were like when they were responding to me, just those sort of like cues that you look for when you're actually reporting in person. That was really nice. I'd say that I'm probably going out a little bit more now. Um, everyone's wearing masks, which has made it a lot easier. Now I think it's kind of this like given that when you go to meet with someone for an interview, you're going to be, you know, at least six to eight feet apart from the other person. You're both going to be wearing masks and you know, I always also run it by them to see how comfortable they are and whether that's something that they want to do. And yeah, I, I mean, as far as going out to eat, I'm not really reviewing restaurants at the moment. And I think we still might be a pretty far away from going back to that. I am trying to give readers a sense of, of like what the restaurant world looks like right now. So I do go out from time to time. I do a lot of drive-bys. I'm, I'm in my car a lot, to be honest. I just kind of, I'm, I'm really always curious, like, what restaurants are open? What bars are maybe open? Like, are there crowds? Are people wearing masks? Um, kind of that like little voyeuristic instinct. <laughs> and I will say also, and I think um, this is maybe something we are going to talk about later, but I'm not dining inside restaurants at the moment. It's just not something that I feel comfortable with. Yeah. And the future is so uncertain. You're talking about businesses that might be going under. It's even hard to contemplate, you know, when we'll get back to people feeling comfortable being able to dine indoors and and just that whole routine. So it does seem like the nature of your beat has sort of fundamentally shifted, at least for now. It's almost like a business beat and kind of covering an industry, right? Absolutely. And I got to say, like, it's not, I'm not completely unhappy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never just been a food critic. Like I've always done food or restaurant reviews and then also done, you know, sort of more reporting and like feature story and enterprise stories on the side. And so before maybe it was weighted a little bit more heavily on the restaurant criticism part. And now it's just kind of flipped. So I still think that there are people that are really interested in like what the best place is to go for takeout or what restaurants are following, you know, the most, um, the safest protocols. And so I, I do think that there is interest from a consumer standpoint for that type of coverage, but it's certainly less than the other part of maybe, which is really, like you said, it's kind of a business beat. If our governor said tomorrow, like, okay, everybody go back to normal, like, oh, let's open again, let's reopen. Do you think that the restaurant world's ever going to be normal again or go back to the way it was? Or do you think this is going to inexorably change the way how people do things. I mean, we eat out all the time. I am not a cook at all. And I've noticed even the ones that we're just doing takeout, they've all changed their menus. A lot of the restaurants, even the high-end ones, have, have cut back on their menus or changed what they're making so that it's more takeoutable. You know, I've seen a lot more food trucks, you know, in places. Do you think this is going to alter the way that we eat out or don't eat out? Yeah, absolutely. The restaurant world really has changed completely in that sense. And I don't think that we're going back. I think that takeout is here to stay. 
if you're opening up a restaurant and you're a new business owner right now, you're probably thinking about going to something that's more friendly for takeout, something that's going to travel well. I think that you're probably looking to like a fast casual model too. Those are, you know, sort of similar to the Chipotle style ordering system where you go in and you're you're really having minimal contact with the wait staff, which I think is still maybe like the biggest concern for both the servers and for the guests because it's really hard to cut down on that personal connection when you're when you're dining at a restaurant, right? One thing that I think has been pretty tricky to get around is this idea that you wear a mask when you go into a restaurant and then you sit down. And for the most part, everyone takes their mask off the second they sit down. So, you know, the server comes over and then you're, you're speaking to them. And there is this kind of sense that you could be endangering their lives by doing that. And, and, but there's also not really any, there's not really any etiquette at this point as to what you're supposed to do there. I've seen some people, you know, put their mask back on when they're not eating, take it off to take a bite, put it back on, you know, (laughs) but I'd say for the most part, people aren't really doing that. But I think just going forward, yeah, we're going to, I mean, it's hard to imagine everything going back to any kind of normal really ever again. I know Lane wanted to get into sort of your history and what brought you to fruit criticism and, you know, which is interesting now, because like you said, you've, that job has sort of, has fundamentally changed. (laughs) What's the backstory? Well, I'll try not to ramble because everyone asks me that question and it's like kind of a, a long um, convoluted answer. But I went to culinary school when I was um, in college. I took a break after my uh, sophomore year and then I went back and I finished up my journalism degree. So after that, I actually worked, I think my first job out of college was at citysearch.com, which is funny that it was in the digital space because this was like 15 years ago, but it was kind of like the precursor to Yelp. So I was actually writing very short restaurant and bar reviews back then, but I only worked there for about a year. And then after that, I really went kind of straight back into the Metro desk. You know, I've covered cops, I um, covered courts. I did a lot of GA. I worked at the New York Post. I was living in New York City for a long time. So I I did like the New York hustle. I worked at the New York Post part-time and then I waited tables and bartended and cooked on the side just to kind of like make ends meet. So I always sort of had one foot in the food world. I ended up moving to New Orleans where I was, once again, I was covering the courthouse at the Times-Picayune and there was a job opening at the local Alt Weekly for a food critic. And it was a considerable pay cut (laughs) from what I was making at the Picayune, but it also felt like kind of, it was a way for me to get back into this world and it was kind of what I always wanted to do. And so I started doing that and that's, I've been doing that now for, I guess it's been five and a half years. And came here a year ago thinking, great. (laughs) Yeah, it got me here. (laughs) From New Orleans though, like, yeah, what made you want to come to Florida from New Orleans? That seems like the food capital. I mean, we're okay, but not like New Orleans. (laughs) Everyone always says that, but you know, New Orleans is a much smaller city than the Tampa Bay metro area. And there's like a lot more diversity here, to be honest. You're getting like a really, New Orleans has a wonderful, rich cultural heritage when it comes to their cuisine. But Tampa Bay has a much larger population. We've got more immigrant communities. We've got, there's just like a lot more diversity as far as cuisine is concerned. So I've actually found it pretty interesting here. We're glad you're here. That's for sure. (laughs) Talk a little bit about, and I know we just talked about how much this is changing, but what do you see as your role or your responsibility as a food critic? I mean, you're not just a restaurant reviewer, but you're also not like a behind the scenes, like where does it come from the farmer table thing? What what do you see as your role? Yeah, that's a good question. I think my role is is to tell readers what the restaurant world 
looks like and how it functions from the players that are involved from a business perspective, but also then from a consumer point, where is a place where it's worth spending your dollars, right? So I think that a lot of people are looking for advice on where to go eat and what things to try out and what who the people are that are running this place where they might plan on going to eat out at. It, I think my role is just kind of writing about all of that. I, I mean, I think that's what I love about this beat so much. I do think that food touches everything. So I think that there's never a shortage of stories and certainly not now. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Helen. We look forward to reading your stories as the restaurant world continues to change. If you have a question for Helen or for Lane, or you want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Austin Fast. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.